Thanks, Austin and worship team. If you have a copy of the scriptures, meet us there in Matthew chapter 3. Welcome again to Journey Church. My name is Daniel. get the opportunity to teach God's word this morning. Uh, There in Matthew 3 is where we'll be the entirety of the chapter. And if you have a physical copy of God's word, it may be helpful for you to put a a thumb in Matthew 3 and then also flip over to John 1. Uh, That's the Gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at this one scene uh, in Matthew's Gospel and John's Gospel to try to round it out completely of uh, the person of John the Baptist. We kick off a brand new series this morning. So if it's your first week in a while or your very first time, uh, we're kicking this off and starting it. It's titled Into the Quiet. I want to make you aware of some teaching resources. If you go to JC Sign Up, uh, there at the very top, you can see a, a button that says uh, current series teaching resources into the quiet. It'll say something uh, to that extent. If you click that button, there's a PDF that'll automatically uh, kind of download to your phone or tablet where you can use it to follow along uh, with this series, which will lead us kind of all the way uh, up to uh, the Easter festivities uh, of uh, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday as well. Uh, there's a few uh, printed copies at the welcome desk as supplies last if you want to pick up one of those, but uh, that is free uh, for all of you guys to use in group or uh, in your own personal study or however you so choose. Uh, And so you may be thinking, what in the world does this series mean? What is the, what are we getting at, at into the quiet? Well, this series is really a biblical New Testament word study on uh, the Greek word eremos or wilderness, or that word can also mean lonely places, deserted places, desolate places, or my personal favorite, as you can see from the series title, the quiet place, this into the quiet. It's this place that we find the most of this series will be on the person of Jesus, of him going into the quiet, coming from the quiet, and what that place meant for him and his life and his ministry and his relationship to the Father. But here, this very first week, we're going to kick it off with the person of John the Baptist who comes from and goes into that same place. So read with me again, Matthew 3.1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. That wilderness is that same word. Here, what we see in John is he comes into this place, from this place, as a person fully ready to do the task that he has been assigned by the Father. He's fully confident in who he is and who he isn't. He's fully rounded in his identity, his calling, his destiny, what his next decision is to be, he goes fully ready to submit to the word of God and the will of God to do exactly what God has assigned him to do. You know, his time with God has rooted him so deeply in his identity and calling that he knows precisely what it is he's to do next. You know, many of us don't have the ability nor the fortitude or the grounding to make decisions with that amount of confidence, unless we're just like overly confident like we shouldn't be. Many of us make decisions based on more practical matters of life, like how will this practically impact my current lifestyle or my family makeup? How will this impact my relationships, my income, how other people view me? How will This basically impact my future, my destiny, what I want to do with my life. We make decisions based on, is this a step forward or a step back based on my current uh, place in the social ladder, my job ranking, or my income level? Or will this put me out in front of where I want to be when I look at my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, or my 15-year plan of where I want to be? 
or we get really, really practical thinking, is this risk even worth it? What if I fail? What if this decision impacts my life in such a way where I go into this spiral of failure and and I can't recover from it? Now, none of these decision-making processes of uh, weighing the, the cost, if you will, with different decisions in our life are inherently wrong, nor are they sinful. But this isn't necessarily the decision-making process that you see John, Jesus, or anyone who considers, considers themselves to be a follower of Christ in the scriptures, thinking about their calling and their purpose. Because here's the, the cold, hard truth of the scriptures and our life in reality. There will be one, rather several moments of your life and my life where we feel in over our heads. We've all had these moments. Like I remember being 16 years old in May, the first day out of school, and I uh, drove at 7 a.m. to my first uh, job um, that wasn't just like mowing yards or picking up sticks. I was going to be a farmhand to work on uh, a row crop farm in Rector, Arkansas. And I got to the farm 7 a.m. sharp, like I was instructed to do by the farmer the weekend before. And I got there, I pulled in. He said, hey, you know how to drive stick? I said, no. He goes, hey, you've ever been in a big truck? I said, no. He said, well, day, both those things change. And so he said, get in the pasture seat. So I climbed up in this 14-wheeler water truck that carried like six to 10,000 gallons of water that followed behind spray chemical trucks and filled them up. And he got, I got in the pasture seat, he got in the driver's seat, and he's like, all right, this is the gear shifter. This is how you do all this. And it's like first gear, reverse, park, all these different things. And we drove down the road a little bit, and he's like, all right, this is how do you shift, and this is you know the clutch and all these different things like that. And and so he turned it around and he got out and he said, all right, now you get in. I'm like, that was it? Okay, here we go. And so I grinded the gears all the way back to the shop and he's like, all right, let me out. Now you go to, and gave me directions to this field. And I was sitting there thinking, wait a second. I thought this was like, okay, now you know for a later time down the road where you're going to be assigned this task. No, it's like today, it starts today. Sitting behind that wheel, that big water truck, I felt incredibly powerful. I felt so cool. I'm like, man, this is amazing. We're in Arkansas. I'm 16. You don't need a CDL. Like, I, like I'm just, apparently not on the farm. I didn't know if that was real or not, but I was like, I just felt like this exuding with like, somebody's going to see me and they're going to be like, man, that guy, I know him. But simultaneously, I felt incredibly in over my head. I felt nervous of like, what if I wreck this thing? Like, It's not just a fender bender in this thing. Like I could really hurt somebody if I don't know what I'm doing back here. And there's all these moments in our life where we feel that just like excitement and yet this extreme anxiety, if you will, of like, I don't feel ready for this moment. Maybe for you, it was when you applied for your first full-time job or when you applied to college or you walked into that final or the moment you found out you were going to become a parent or it was dealing with a moment of grief in your family or it was this moment where everyone in your, your family turned to look at you to help with this crisis and you're like, I don't feel ready. You see, we've all had these different moments in our lives or will have these moments in our life where we don't feel equipped to do the task at hand. And for me, it just wasn't when I was 16. It actually happened very more recently than that of, August of 2022, where I got a phone call from one of the search team members of Journey Church for their next 
past lead pastor position and they, I, when they texted me and they were like, hey, can we do a phone call? I was like, sure, let's do, I had no clue what was happening. And they said, hey, we're looking for an ex lead pastor. Would you be interested? Interested in what? Like being a recommendation for somebody or what, what are you referencing here? And I laughed a little bit and realized it was actually really serious. And so I changed my tune really quick, but went through this process of over the next six to eight months of discerning the Lord and praying and seeking counsel and fasting and realizing this is exactly where the Lord was leading me and my family to take our best next step. And I felt extremely underqualified. I thought, I'm too young. I'm going to fail. I felt like, what am I going to feel like when I'm a failure? I, I thought this is what my life was supposed to look like. But now, Lord, you're clearly leading in this direction. This doesn't make sense. Yet, I knew this is exactly what the Lord desired for my and my family's best next step. I don't tell you that story to pat myself on the back or tell you that I'm the the best pastor or pull on your heartstrings in any way. It's simply, this is the reality for your life and my life. We are going to have moments, many moments, where we feel extremely unqualified and extremely in over our heads. And that may just be the exact spot God desires to place you to grow your faith and your trust in him so that you don't feel like in your own wisdom, in your own wit, and your own power, you know the best next step. Author Katie Wolf wrote in an article of The Muse, her perspective of taking jobs that you feel qualified for. She says, and I quote, you should never take a job you feel qualified for. Feeling underqualified in places in your life will push you to outside your comfort zone and make you rise to the challenge that's placed in front of you. At some level, feeling underqualified brings humility. It brings trust in the Lord. It brings you to this place to ask God for your, what is your best next step and what, is I am, what am I supposed to do next? And from the quiet is where the life of a Jesus follower, this is formed and solidified. You see, we're starting with John the baptizer's story, who goes into the quiet, comes from the quiet, and we see this guy who's bolstering with confidence and trust in the Lord and this identity that's firmly rooted in him, but it didn't just happen by happens chance. He wasn't able just to carry this amount of trust and conviction and clarity from this like, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do next. Talk to some people, I feel like I'm a a qualified orator and here I go. I'm gonna tell an entire nation how they've done wrong and call them back to the Lord. No, rather from this place of quiet and stillness, God forms the identity of John the baptizer, calls him and commissions him to go and call the people unto himself. Now let's listen to John the baptizer's, this scene, if you will, which we're getting the back end of this confidence, the back end of all this, where we're actually gonna dive into what does it look like to spend time in the quiet later on in the series. But one just side note of teaching, that there's two Johns in the New Testament. And some of you know this already, but others, this will be helpful for you, is there's the John, the apostle or disciple, who is uh, the younger disciple who wrote the 
Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and uh, Revelation. And then there's John the baptizer, who is also the cousin of Jesus, who we find this scene in Matthew's gospel and John's gospel, but they're different Johns. All right, it makes sense. All right, in John's gospel now, John chapter one, verse 19, I'm gonna read of John the baptizer. Different Johns, even though it's, you know, confusing. Sorry, here we go. John one, uh, verse 19. It says, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who've sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Notice for John, he has three no's for one yes. No, I'm not the Christ. No, I'm not the prophet Elijah. No, I'm not the chosen prophet. Just like for John, your no in your life of what God has called you not to is just as important, if not more important than your yes. Because what shifts for John the Baptist in his life and in the whole storyline of scripture is he is the voice from God called out of the silence who's self-authenticating in its power and its message and it's done by an unusual mediator. What does all that mean? That God chose an unlikely person from an unlikely circumstances to accomplish his mission. It sounds a lot like you and I that here, again, in the midst of the quiet, God calls to his people, come back to me. And he uses John the baptizer for this. Listen to John the baptizer's message. Back to Matthew chapter three. This is the same scene. We're just looking at it from two different gospels. Matthew three, verses two and three. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John's message to the nation of Israel was stop defining sin by your own set of circumstances, stop defining right and wrong by your own choices and turn back to the Lord because there's one who is coming is the Lord himself. Make clear his path. Make his path straight to him. Don't get anything confused. Come straight to this one who is coming that I'm referencing. In verses four through 10, John claims to be coming in the spirit and power and the likeness of the prophet Isaiah. He's similar to him, but the religious leaders ask him if he is Isaiah, like, are you Isaiah coming back to us? And he says, no, I'm not Isaiah, even though I'm following in his footsteps and the way that he carried himself, the way that he carried his message. And John tells them in verse 11 of Matthew 3, he says, I come to baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then in verses 13 and 14, Jesus shows up where John is baptizing people. And remember John's request to these people, turn from your sin and repent and be baptized. Turn away from your sin and repent so that you can follow God. 
and be baptized to show that you've done this, that this is an act of repentance and an act of uh, turning and giving your life to God. That's why you're coming to get baptized. And Jesus shows up where John is baptizing these people and says, John, I need you to baptize me. John says, whoa, 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 whoa. This, this whole thing is, this is backwards. This is not how this goes. I need you to baptize me, Jesus. You see here in this moment of John's life, he's feeling incredibly inadequate. And this is the culminating moment of John the Baptist's ministry. From here on, we see John's ministry actually decreasing and Jesus's and the disciples' ministry increasing, which is why in John chapter three, verse 30, uh, you see this context, the scene where John's disciples are like really frustrated that all these people have left John and went to Jesus. And he says the famous Bible verse, he must increase, but I must decrease. Here in this moment, John's finally gonna get the chance to fulfill his ultimate purpose. And he doesn't fully understand what's happening. He's like, whoa, stop, I can't do this. But here, verse 15, Jesus picks up. And he says, but Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Look at these three verses and let's break them down together, which is the context for John and any follower of Jesus after their foundation for their calling, their purpose, their identity and their relationship to the Lord. Notice in verse 15 that Jesus and his whole argument for why John is going to baptize him is it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. This is the purpose behind me getting baptized by you, John, says Jesus. It's fitting so that this may actually happen. John sees himself as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. That's what John sees himself as. And he comes to these people on this countryside in uh, the hills of Judea by the Jordan River and says, you need to turn from your sin and repent and be baptized by me so that you may authentically follow God more truly. John's sure of exactly who he is. He's sure of who Jesus is. This is the same scene from John, that's the gospel of John, 1, 19 through 23, where in verse 29, it picks up the John's testimony about who Jesus is. Listen to this. The next day, he saw Jesus. The next day, the next day from what? Well, the day that all those religious leaders came to John and says, tell us who you are. Are you the Christ? He says, no. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Tell us who you are then. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the path to the Lord. And then verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, that word right there literally means look. It's as if this scene where John's in the water of the Jordan River, waist deep baptizing people and he stops everything and says, look, 
The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He stops it all in its tracks and says, you guys, this is the one we've been waiting for. John knows who he is. He knows who Jesus is. And the question is, is why in the world does Jesus say, this needs to take place? You need to, be ba- you need to baptize me so that we may fulfill all righteousness. John clearly understood why these people were lined up to get baptized by him. He's confused. He says, Jesus, you have no reason to be baptized. You see, these people were sinners who were getting in this water. They need to repent. They need to get their relationship right with the Lord and trust in him. So why would Jesus need to be baptized? You see, Jesus is not a sinner. Rather, Jesus is the sin bearer. If you see in Hebrews chapter 8, verses through chapter 10, it talks about the the sacrificial system and how Jesus is the fulfillment of all this. John proclaims the very same truth in John 1, 29, where he says, this is the Lamb of God who comes to take away or remove the sin of the world. In verse 15 of Matthew 3, the very ending phrase of it, it says, and then he consented. This phrasing literally means that Jesus agrees to this. He agrees to be baptized after he has to persuade John. This is, this is the purpose. This is why this is going to happen. So no matter what we may hear from other Bible teachers or pastors or authoritative voices, Jesus was never forced to come to earth. He was never coerced. He chose. He freely gave himself. You see, in the baptism of Jesus, it's this tremendous act of humility where he consents to be counted as if he were a sinner along with everyone else. John, looking forward, is plunging Jesus symbolically into sin-filled waters where all the others were baptized previously, looking forward to the cross of Christ where he would freely give of his life and be the one who bared the sins of the world. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross of Jesus, he being perfectly righteously obedient to the Father is providing our, his righteousness for us in exchange for our sinfulness. This is the great exchange which the baptism of Jesus foreshadowed what would happen on the cross, which is why Paul in Romans 6, 3 and 4 references baptism and the cross, tying them up together. It says that when we are baptized, when anyone is baptized, we look backwards at what Jesus has already accomplished for us. They were buried in a death like his, in the tomb similar to his, and we raise up, resurrect in a resurrection like his. You see, the starting block for all of our identity, our calling and our purpose is the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he's already accomplished for us. You see, for you and I to think in our own strength, we could do anything or in our own wisdom, our own skill that we could accomplish anything daunting is ridiculous. 
compare this to our 21st century, do better, get your act together, pull yourself up to our bootstraps, Peloton mentality, you seize the day and take it by the horns and do better this year. Apart from Christ, we are simply incomplete sinners in desperate need of someone to save us. Jesus is our only answer for John to point out his singular mission. Behold, the Lamb of God, whom I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. He's coming in fire. You see, the fuel for all of our lives is in the person and work of Jesus's person and completed work on the cross. God promises to not only ransom and redeem all those he's called, but he's also promised to never leave or forsake us, to equip us to do the task that he's called. Through submission to his word and his will, he will empower us to do exactly what he's promised. It's true for John. It's true for us. We all depend on Jesus. Listen to a few of these verses about the identity and calling and equipping by God to his people to do what he's called them to do. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead of our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of his sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good so that you may do his will. According in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. See, at the cross of Christ, we're all on level ground, all saved by Jesus, empowered by his Holy Spirit and called by the Father to live in holiness, to do the ministry or the assignment that we've been called to and called to do good works, to live for Jesus in light of what he's already accomplished on our behalf. So if there's ever a point in your life where God's calling and your best next step feels too daunting to complete in your own strength, it's because it is. What is our own strength, our own wisdom, our own wit apart from Christ? Absolutely nothing. The calling of the follower of Christ is to be willing to submit to God's will in God's way, in God's timing, leading us to accomplish his will and work according to his word. So what are we to do? As we begin this journey of this New Testament word study of into the quiet, what are we to do? Well, there's really three application points that'll be pretty similar all throughout this. First is to get into God's word. Get into God's word. Seek wisdom through the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit. Get into the quiet with God. There in the 
into the quiet guides that if you jump online or grab a physical copy, you'll see a, in the margin of every single page is a guide of how to have a personal time with the Lord how to ask questions of the scriptures as you study it for yourself. There's even application questions to help you get into the quiet in God's word, have a personal relationship with Jesus. The second is, is we need biblical community. We need godly voices, godly friends and in our lives pouring into us regularly. And the last is we need to get into the quiet, to spend time with the Lord prayerfully. You see, the key is here is quiet. Often much of our time with the Lord, if you spend time praying, is often with you filling it with talking. But to genuinely block out time to be with the Lord into the quiet, the word means desolate, desert, stillness, silence. The rest of this series is going to talk about how do we have intentional time with God in his word to be silent and listen to his word speak to us. But also in prayer, how do we quiet ourselves before the Lord in honesty to fight the enemy, to meet with the Lord and be honest with ourselves? This is the place of that life-changing growth that we talked about at the beginning. When we follow God's will and God's word to accomplish his calling on our lives, we can be confident that God will never fail. But don't mistake failure for your lack of obedience and patience. Don't mistake your impatience to equal his failure. Because oftentimes, this into the quiet, we like to have in a quick bite-sized formula of just, hey, let's get through this thing. But what would it look like on the other side of this to begin this journey of looking how John the Baptist looked with this tremendous confidence in the Lord of knowing exactly what his best next step was, even if it was challenging and difficult and felt so daunting that he could not accomplish it on his own? What would it look like in your life, in my life, to get into the quiet? the place where the Holy Spirit seeks to equip us with the wisdom, the confidence, and the clarity of what God wants us to do next. What would it look like to get into the quiet, to meet with the Father? What would it look like in your life to get into the quiet as the place to wrestle with the biggest struggles that you have in your life and the sin in your heart? What would it look like to get into the quiet, to be honest with yourself so that the deepest places of hurt in your soul could be healed by the comforter? What would it look like to get into the quiet? Through the rest of this series, we'll be talking about this in a slow, unhurried pace of seeking spaces in our lives to be in the quiet. Would you pray with me? want to seek to guide you through a few prayers to pray as we begin this series. Holy Spirit, we just ask you that as you seek to comfort and challenge and equip us 
through times meeting with you that we would seek as a regular rhythm, as a practice in our lives to meet with you. Not just one hour a week, but on a regular basis. Would you, would you just simply pray and thank Jesus for his ultimate sacrifice on the cross for you? Would you thank Jesus for his ultimate obedience that was foreshadowed in his baptism but lived perfectly throughout his life, culminating in his obedience to go to the cross willfully, to freely give himself for you and I? Would you pray that through this series that the Lord would speak to you through his word and through times meeting with him of gaining clarity, conviction, and direction in your life for whatever that big thing is in your mind right now that I couldn't possibly know, but the Lord knows. begin to pray about not only your yeses but your your noes I was tremendously convicted time of study this week of John the Baptist of just saying no 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 with one yes Holy Spirit would you begin to convict us as much of our our noes as our yeses in our lives that we could have enough confidence and clarity that comes from you and you alone to know what to say yes to and no to in our lives. Jesus, as we are about to stand in worship, would we be reminded of this space and would you give us clarity throughout these next several weeks of what this pace and this practice looks like to meet with you? Would you silence the lies from the enemy? Would you encourage us to run into the quiet to spend time with you because of who you are? You are gracious, loving, and kind. And your heart is displayed to us in a thousand different ways in, in the world and in the word. May we seek to just be with in your holy, precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, would you stand and sing this final song? There'll be some prayer team members at the back if you would like someone to pray with you. Or this, the front's open if you want to uh, pray alone or you can just stand and sing with us and worship together.